Saviour podcast with your hosts, Jonathan Wiggins, Joshua Hill, Christopher Mock, and Alexander Cowan. This week, we are in the book of 2 Timothy, and John is going to take us away as we delve deeper. That's right, 2 Timothy. So, uh, obviously, it comes out of 1 Timothy that we did last week, uh, which is good. And and so, basically, we have uh, Timothy is going to, I'm sorry, Paul is going to be sharing some of his last words with Timothy. Uh, two or three years, um, uh, probably, uh, of his release. Within that time from Roman house arrest, Paul is kind of rearrested, taken back to Rome. Not kind of, he was. Uh, the cause of his arrest kind of unknown. Nero blamed the burning of Rome in AD 64 on Christians, so maybe Nero uh, knew that Paul was one of the leaders of this Christian movement, and so he uh, put it, imprisoned him for that reason and targeted him. Maybe the coppersmith uh, that's talked about in, uh, in Acts, Alexander brought formal charges against Paul. I uh, really don't know, uh, but uh, the, I, the place of arrest, probably Troas, a good possibility. That's where Paul left a lot of his important stuff, personal possessions, cloak, books, parchments, and so forth, according to 2 Timothy 4.13. Uh, probably reason why those things are left there is because it probably was uh, pretty quickly. Uh, it happened where he was rushed away um, and didn't have time to gather his things, so... Uh, Before he writes this epistle, Paul uh, had given one defense of his position in Roman court. Uh, That's seen in chapter 4, verse 16. Many of his associates and friends had already left him for good reasons. Others had deserted him. No verdict uh, was reached at this first trial, but Paul knew that the verdict was coming, and it was likely going to be that he was going to be uh, killed uh, for his uh, faith and out of concern for Timothy, a desire to see him before his martyrdom, Paul writes this young fellow, uh, a faithful believer, and says, asks him to rejoin him a- at Rome. And then uh, we see Paul really penning some of his last words uh, in chapter 4, where uh, you can tell that um, it seems like the tears are thick in his eyes, you know, uh, when he's given kind of some final thoughts to Timothy. The theme here seems to be, Carry on uh, the work of the gospel faithfully. Press on, you know. Uh, I think Chris is going to read just a little bit chapter 4 where it talks about fight the good fight. I mean, he's, he's kind of come to that last, uh, he, he's come to the last days of his life, he knows, and he's tried to be faithful up until the end. And I think that's kind of the heartbeat of this whole letter uh, that Paul's offering up. Josh, your thoughts on chapter 1. <laughs> Yeah, so just from the very beginning of this um, this book, you can see the language that Paul is using is very parental, you know, um, not just figuratively and not just in the way that he's speaking, but he says literally to Timothy, my beloved child. I mean, it's very clear that Paul thinks of Timothy as, as a son in the faith. Uh, and he goes on um, telling Timothy he's thanking God for for you. He's, he's remembering you constantly in, in his prayers day and night, talking about Timothy. Um, longing to see him, you know, trying to to um, really get across the idea to us, and we can we can gather really well that Timothy is someone of, of whom Paul thinks very highly, and vice versa. Uh, Paul is is someone that Timothy really looks up to as a father in the faith. Uh, but Paul also talks about um, the legacy of faith that's left by Timothy's grandmother and his mother, um, and it really you know it makes me think of the people who have been spiritual leaders in my own life and spiritual parents. You know, I was 
blessed to have parents that that love the Lord, and they are um, tremendous encouragements to me even even today. And they raised me in the church, and they raised me in the faith, and they made sure that I have a um, strong and sincere grasp on the faith that I have. Uh, but then even people outside of my family, I can think of um, a dear friend and, and mentor to me uh, all throughout high school and middle school as well, Colonel Dave Wrestler. He is the guy. Colonel Wrestler. Colonel Wrestler. It's wow, not spelled the way you would think, but Colonel Wrestler. That's pretty cool. Yeah, he was a tank commander in the Army in the Vietnam War, hmm. if, if I'm not mistaken. And he is the guy. Like, he hmm. was just the best. And to this day, I can remember so many things that he um, that he just gave to me and, and the wisdom that he gave to me. He came to know the Lord later in life, um, but it seemed like the bent of his heart was to lead the young men that he was entrusted with in such a way that they wouldn't make some of the same mistakes that he did growing up. Uh, mm -hmm. And he is just one of the most godly people that I know, and he's still living now. So if you're listening to this, Dave, shout out to you. Love you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, who who are some of those people that y'all can think of that, you mm -hmm. know, I, we all probably want to talk about our parents, but maybe, maybe people who aren't your direct relatives that you can think of that were spiritual, you know, fathers, mothers, guides to you in the faith. I, I would say for, for me, a friend of mine, uh, David Keziah uh, was someone who spurred me on early, you know, in those high school kind of those kind of high school days, and and you know, uh, just really challenged me, you know, to to uh, not just follow the pattern of everyone else, but to really dig deep, know God, and live uh, in accordance with what His Word has called us to to do and say. And so I think He would be, and, I, and I, it wasn't just that He told me those things. It was that I saw those things in his own life and said, hey, like that guy, he is very different from everybody else. And, uh, and I saw that in his life and, and in real ways. You know, we'd be at an event or something, all, all of us are hanging out over here in, in this group. And, and I'm like, where's Dave? And then we, we'll get up with him a second later. And like, hey, where you been, man? And he's like, oh, I was sharing Christ with that guy that was at the door the, uh, over there. And, and he just, he's really struggling with his faith. And I mean, it just, that, that was just, you know, Dave, uh, to, to try to, it helped me to see that, you know, this wasn't about gaining knowledge. It wasn't about, uh, just not doing things wrong. Uh, it was about, uh, living a life of loving people and encouraging people to know Jesus and that he was indeed a treasure to be treasured. So I think, yeah, there's been a few as I've grown up. I think my brother-in-law, Matthew Marshall, especially when I was a young teenager. I wasn't a believer, but he was. I had deep respect for him um, because he was he was the same. He was always the guy who was different. Wow. Um, mm -hmm. I think of uh, I think Johnny B, who's actually now married my aunt, so now he's my uncle Johnny B, right? Um, Johnny B is an elder at our church in Scotland. He's called Johnny B because uh, when he first started coming to our church, we already had a guy named John. So we're like, well, what can we call you? Because we can't call you John. <laughs> we can't have two Johns. That'd be ridiculous. We need to adopt this system so, for the gems at Skyline. <laughs> That's right. So yeah, we said, yeah. well, we've already got a John. So what's your second name? And he said, second name's Belton. John Belton. Mom said, Johnny B. And to this day, he's called Johnny B. So I, I remember Johnny B coming and being a leader in our youth group at our church, even before I was a Christian, and taking the time to um, speak with me. And 
not just speak to me, but speak with me. And he was somebody who I could really think understood where I was in life. And I still remember the conversations we had when mm -hmm. I was 14, 15, 16 years old. And even when I became a Christian, he was influential in, you know, studying the Bible with me and um, really being a mentor to me. Um, what a godly man and a man who loves the church and loves the word. Yeah, the one characteristic I always think about when I think about the people who have, you know, helped me grow in my faith, and that includes you guys here, is patience. Like, I I cannot, like, I'll think about myself in the past, and, like, I can remember conversations I've had or things I've said, and just like, man, it. I don't know that I would have had the patience to deal with me, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I think another thing this um passage and topic we're talking about is screams out is the importance of multi-generational church yeah like you know it's no good talking about spiritual grandparents if there's no spiritual grandparents in the church yeah if right. everyone is just one generation then mm -hmm. the church is, is we're losing out the young people need the older people and the older people need the younger people because we're a, we're a family yeah, that's right. And yeah, I that's, think the that's, that's one of the beauties of, of our church, you absolutely. know, I think, is that it represents all the demographics, and and uh, you, you do have that kind of attitude, you know, uh, uh, an attitude of, of uh, young and old uh, growing together and um, yeah. loving one another. Success for us is people of all generations coming together to worship, worship Jesus. Mm -hmm. And if we do something and the older people feel they can't be a part of it or the younger people feel they can't be a part of it, then we failed. And mm -hmm. it's actually really difficult to do. Yeah, it's very difficult. The it's, easiest it's the thing harder to, thing to do. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. The easiest thing to do is do church for old people or church for young people and give every er, give everybody maybe what they want or their preferences. But the most beneficial thing and the best thing is to do church together. And that means sometimes everyone has to give something up. That's right. Um yeah. But I think what we see at Scallon Baptist Church is people giving things up and going, but it's worth it because worshiping yeah. together is worth it, worth it and our church is worth it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I, I love chapter two. And just the, the first couple of verses there um, where Paul says, you then, my child, um, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. There is an expectation that this will not stop at Timothy, but Timothy will share what Paul, Paul has shared with him, with other men, who will then go on to teach others also. When I talk about Johnny B being a spiritual um, father or grandfather in, in my life, when I first became a Christian, uh, we went to boot camp at his house at 6 o'clock in the morning on a Wednesday. And that was all the young men in the church who were being um, discipled and raised to be leaders in the church. And John would cook us breakfast every Wednesday. And we would go through um Charles Spurgeon book called Letters to My Students. Mm. Not <coughs> when you're 21 at 6 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? uh. But looking back on it, grew through that. And all those men who went through that are, have went on to teach others also. And I think, you know, we're going to talk about this later on in preaching, but we're starting to do that now in our church, especially when you think of John with um, with our with his preaching cohort that he's been mm -hmm. going through, like taking faithful men 
and equipping them to be teachers of the word, preachers of the word, and giving them the tools to teach others also. So mm -hmm. what a great picture of multiplication. Absolutely, because there's no room to be stagnant, right? Like the, the gospel is always moving forward. So we have an opportunity to either be a part of it or to be in the way of it. There's only, it's one of those two things. If we're not helping it to move across, we need to move out of the way. Yeah. I heard somebody say once, we do not want to be a spiritual cul-de-sac. Yeah. Yeah. We don't want it to stop it's with us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. we, we, want it, we want it to be on the highway. Yeah. That's good. Good word. Chapter 3, uh, you know, when I think about chapter 3, I think of uh, really one verse that comes to mind, uh, 2 Timothy three sixteen. 16. Uh, all scriptures uh, breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for proof, correction, for training in righteousness. Uh, and here's why. So the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so uh, this is just one of those verses that I think about when I think about inspiration, you know, uh, uh, is uh, this, this book is literally from the mouth of God. That's what this, and not just this book, but all scripture, he says, and he's got the Old Testament and, New, and, and um, in mind here primarily, but I, I think he also has some of the New Testament as well in mind, I think. Uh, and, and so, uh, but the, the, the thought is that all, every, every scripture, all of scripture is from God's mouth. It is inspired by God himself. Uh, uh, that, that means, um, <clears throat> uh, you know, the, the, the Greek words here would be, uh, pasagrafe theophanoustos, which means, uh, literally that picture from the mouth of God. Uh, and, you know, we talk about, oh, this is, this is an inspiring book. You know, uh, we're, we're not, we, someone might say that about a lot of books, but, uh, uniquely we say of this book that all of this scripture is literally from God's mouth. It is what, what this book says is what God said, you know, to disbelieve, I, uh, Grudem says this, says to disbelieve or disobey the, this book is to disbelieve or disobey the Lord. And, uh, and so, uh, when I, I think about the significance of that, uh, that, Obviously, it's it's important for us to know the word. It's important for us to to spend time uh, in the word, so that uh, uh, especially as as people in ministry like uh, the four of us are, that we're able to do the things that this this book allows us to do, and that's uh, uh, teach the word faithfully, reprove faithfully, correct faithfully, training righteous, train others in righteousness. Uh, uh, and how to live for the Lord and make and make a difference for Him, so that we can see God grow people and and uh, see many people be those workmen that are proved, you know, uh, unto the Lord. Absolutely, what a sure foundation for us in ministry and for everyone listening, everyone who's who's a believer, that we can turn to God's Word and we can open it at any page and we can hear His Word. We don't have to mm -hmm. guess. I wonder mm -hmm. if this is God's Word or not. That God has told us this is my Word, and it's useful to you. Trivia question. Who is the American founding father who had his own Bible, where he took out the pieces of scripture he didn't like? Thomas Jefferson. That's right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thomas Jefferson, the Jefferson Bible. <clears throat> he was a deist, not a Christian. Yeah. It's funny. It's like, I, uh, I think it was Mark Dever that said, if you want a personal audible message from God, stand up and read your Bible out loud. <laughs> 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 and it's, but it's so true. I'll tell you a funnier story than that, okay? So hopefully there isn't too many people from the Scottish Baptist Union listening to this podcast. I'll tell you. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. A person I know who I won't name uh, <laughs> recently went 
on a pastor's accreditation course. In Scotland, to be a, a certified Baptist minister, you have to be accredited. Mm-hmm. And you have to go to workshops and these type of things. So one of them was called How to Hear from God. And uh, this person I know went, and for the whole day, it was all of these different ways to hear from God. Um, the main one was uh, to go for a walk in the woods and, you know, meditate in the woods and let God come and speak to you. <laughs> and this person I know stood up and said, what nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> right? He said, um. you've, you know, you've been here and you've spoken all day about how to hear from God and you've never opened your Bible once. He's already spoken to us. Yeah. He's told us mm. who, who he is. He's told us who we are. He's told us how we need Christ. And, you know, the, the problem is, is that first word there, verse 16, all, all scripture, it's so important because when you take that word out, and if it was most scripture, it's a slippery slope and you very quickly just start conforming the Bible to what you want it to say. But because mm-hmm. we know all scripture is from God, that means we can stand on everything God says and say, it's true. It might be hard for us to understand at this moment in time, but it's true. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think there's a word that uh, most people are probably familiar with. You think about the conservative resurgence in the 80s um, and this whole debate on the inerrancy of the Bible, saying yeah. that it's you know without error. But there's another word that I think Paul is really trying to emphasize here that maybe we don't talk about as much, and that's sufficiency, mm-hmm. that the Bible is sufficient for the things that we need. We don't need to look for you know a walk in nature to help us understand God better. The Bible is sufficient, and it provides us with all that we need to know and understand God and understand salvation. Yeah, and particularly, you know, uh, Jesus, you know, it, it's sufficient to reveal Jesus to us. You know, uh, I think uh, what Hebrews says it, chapter 1, it says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Mm-hmm. And the thought is that ultimately— all of Scripture, and we, we say this on our, our website, uh, I think, and we talk about, you know, every promise is fulfilled in, in the person and work of Jesus, you know, how how all of Scripture is really pointing us uh, in to Jesus, that He is the amen uh, of all of those promises. So, I, I and I think that leads us right into what you're going to talk about uh, in, in the last part of this, uh, this letter. And you see that, just for Chris says, see that echoed in John, the Word became flesh. Christ is right. called the Word, but here's the Word becoming flesh, mm-hmm. dwell among us. And that is why at the center of what we do and what all healthy churches do, uh, we would say, is they preach the Word. And that's what Paul emphasizes here in chapter 4, right there in the first verse. Um, With a lot of emphasis, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Paul there, like, he's not swearing. You know, that, that's something that Jesus says not to do. But he's really trying to emphasize as much as possible, hey, by God, by Jesus, who is going to judge the living and the dead, the thing that I think you need to do that's the most important and central to your ministry is preach the Word. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that we value here at this church, and I'm so grateful for for John and Alex uh, that you guys are just so faithful to 
preach the word and not preach your own thoughts, not preach your own ideas. Um, and just a wonderful example to me in how to do that faithfully. Um, so may, maybe just a thought off of that, though, wh- who's maybe a person that's had an influence on you or a book or anything like that that you can think of that's really influenced your preaching in, in maybe some way? I think for, for me personally, it's probably um, Jacob Brothers and John. I mean, they're the two pastors I've had since I've been a Christian. So um, since I've become a believer, that's the preaching that I've sat under most Sundays. And both very similar preaching styles, expositional preaching and gospel-centered preaching. So I've never, since I've been a believer, been to church and it been a sort of topical sermon or anything like that. I've all, all I'm used to is book by book, verse by verse. And that's been really influential in my life. Yeah. Uh, I think for me, as far as some, you know, I think about probably Brian Chapel, one of the books, uh, Christ Center Preaching, uh, probably an influential book uh, that uh, that that I've, I've that I walked through uh, with some other guys as well, and and uh, you know, I I I think that uh, there's you know it's hard not to be. Inf- also influenced by so many other pastors because we have the access to mm-hmm. listen to a pastor. I was just talking to you, Chris, uh, this morning about listening to uh, another a pastor on a certain sermon or whatever, and we have the ability to just click on on our phones, you know, and hear pastors and how they handle the word and and how they uh, approach the word and uh, and all those things. It's a it is a blessing. I mean, it can be a curse of this day too, you know, because there's a lot of mishandling of the word. But but uh, but I think. Uh, it's a it's an incredible thing to be able to to have so many people that we can just click right on and, and hear them be faithful and have different styles, different ways of uh, of um, uh, you know di- you know different truths and and th- things. Uh, I, I think um, uh, you know that that you can you, you hear expounded on in, in light of God's word and uh, by different folks. It's it's remarkable. And not to say uh, let me let me correct that like there's. I believe every passage has certain truths, uh, but and many applications maybe to those truths. Uh, not not just um, many many truths from from necessarily unique passage, perspectives so. on the truth. Yeah, maybe so. Yeah, yeah, and and how to approach those truths. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. For me, I mean, I don't I don't get to preach very often when I you know when I do stylistically, I'm I'm not sure that I resemble anything except maybe a. a pile of dirt but um (laughs) that being said uh when it comes to leading worship and when it comes to to songwriting and writing songs for the church so often i find myself um looking at people like keith and Kristen getty you know modern hymn writers or Mm -hmm. uh, matt boswell Mm -hmm. wonderful um matt maher is another really great one that i've i've loved throughout many of the years but um for me there's something special about these these people in particular because they write songs of the that are scripture to music you know and they write it in such a way that people can access it and people can identify with it kind of no matter where they are you know mm-hmm. you, you can come up against oftentimes you can come up against a passage in scripture and at a particular moment you know it it has absolutely it is the truth and but you come up against it like a brick wall and you hit it and you go, I have no idea how to apply this to my life right now. And so often their gifting is taking passages like that and in the way that they're able to phrase it and the way that they're able to set it to music, 
they can make it accessible to people in a way that it might not be just reading it off of the page. And that's something we try to you do. You think here. of Andrew Peterson's Is He Worthy? Andrew Peterson, um, 100%. You know, you read Revelation along with that. I think another preacher is Bob Pittman. Mm-hmm. When What I love about Bob Pittman is he's not just a fantastic preacher, but in, in his preaching, there's an aspect of storytelling. And there's an aspect of being so accurate and precise with his speech that not a second is wasted. Mm-hmm. If you go back and listen to Bob's sermons, they're about 30 minutes in length. Yeah. And he'll say in 30 minutes what I'll say in 45. Because you take out all of the uhs and the ums and the I think, maybe. Yeah. He's yeah. precise. He's accurate. I can still remember his sermons. And the way that he is able to use illustrations to guide people and draw people in to Scripture and um, then share with them the biblical truth is just, there's a mastery there. Yeah, and and, uh, the first book, just by chance, that I read when I first became interested in preaching was a book called Preachers and Preaching by Martin Lloyd-Jones. And it was, uh, it's just a fantastic book for me. It teaches you some on, you know, the the way to preach, but it's really driving home the importance of preaching and the necessity of Mm -hmm. preaching and those things. And I think this is a quote from that book. I can't remember. I don't have it labeled, but I think this is really a good statement on the importance of preaching and I guess the significance of it. Um, It says, as a pastor, you are the filter of human experience, personality, and voice through which your congregation will know God's word. And I think, you know, we all also, or, or we would like to know that every person in our congregation is always reading the Bible on their own, taking time to study, but it's true for the vast majority of people, Sunday mornings when the Word is preached is the primary mm-hmm. source, and you're that filter. So there's a lot of responsibility there. I think my favorite preaching book is Power in the Pulpit by Jim Shaddix. Yeah, that's, good. that's an excellent book. Mm-hmm. It's a great book. Chris, fun question. What's the worst sermon you've ever preached? You mean besides <laughs> the you mean you mean besides the one that he didn't preach when he went to the wrong church? Oh, oh, oh no. hi, I'll, can I, Chris. Can oh, I tell no. a story, no. or do you want to tell it? You tell it. Go ahead. So, this is a good Poor preaching Chris, story. Man. So, um, I get a phone call one day about preaching at Mount Hebron Baptist Church, and and I couldn't do it because I think I just preached somewhere, and so I spoke to Chris. Chris said he would do it, and Chris goes on Sunday morning. Um, like I told him, Mount Hebron Baptist Church, I said, you just go up 69 and it's there. So Chris goes up 69, goes to Mount Hebron Baptist Church, um, either, even takes his fiance and his mother-in-law with him. And he walks into church, sits down in the front row. Everyone sings the songs. Everyone's worshiping. Shakes hands. Shakes meets hands. everybody. <laughs> it's time for the preaching. And someone else stands up to preach. And at that moment, Chris realizes he's in the wrong church. <laughs> oh, man. But hey, but I'll say this, which is pretty incredible. It just shows that it's not us, but God. I went to the right church that night, and Meredith will tell you that sermon I preached that night was the best sermon I preached up to that point. 
And so it was, (laughs) yeah, so God worked through it anyway. But, yeah, that was was quite embarrassing. You went through the refiner's fire. (laughs) That was the worst sermon because you you were in the wrong church. (laughs) (laughs) That's the worst sermon. I didn't even get to preach. It was so bad. Um, (laughs) No, to answer your question, man, I don't know if you guys feel like this, but there's, it's very rare that I step down from the pulpit and I'm like, oh, I killed it. I know. Yeah. I know. I feel like almost, I mean, there's a difference between, I guess, knowing you communicate truth clearly mm-hmm. and feeling like you preached a good sermon. I, yeah, yeah, yeah I, absolutely. I remember um, when I first started preaching, um, we, were doing, we were doing what we do on Sunday nights, and I got tasked with preaching First and Second Kings, and it was probably my second ever sermon. And I can tell you right now, it was... <laughs> I had no grasp of how to preach something that big. I had mm-hmm. no experience really in standing in front of people. Um, yeah, I still remember my hand shaking as I turned my notes. I think I just looked down and read from my notes the whole time. Uh, <laughs> and, you, but, you pulled the Jonathan Edwards uh, right. <laughs> style but, there. But I echo what you, what you say, Chris. There's times in my life when I've maybe, maybe it's pride. I don't know what it is. But maybe came down from preaching and thought, Man, that went well. And then went home and nothing happened. And there's times where I've came down from preaching and thought, man, I didn't do a good job with that. Mm -hmm. And people have came forward to be saved. Or or people have said, you have no idea how much that meant to me. Or, and it just shows you like, it's it's not me. Well, that's (laughs) God who's at work. It's the, it's the power of the spirit, you know, I mean, and, and this, the spirit of the Lord, you know, I mean, God's spirit moves uh, in in uh, at times in ways that man we would never think that yeah. God would do do something. I mean, how often do we go, man? God did that, and we would have never thought He would have done that that way, you know. And and uh, <clears throat> but and I think that's the way it is with preaching. You know, mm-hmm. you, you you feel like ah, I pre- I feel like I communicate that pretty good, yeah. and then you're like, oh, man, that didn't seem very profitable in people's lives. And then other times, like you said, but I think. Uh, uh, it kind of makes me think of uh, just uh, just our dependence on the Spirit. You know, I think of Spurgeon when he walks up, when he would walk up to preach. He would he, every step he took is he'd walk up that massive uh, stairs to to get that his pulpit. He would say, "I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe in the power with every step." And, and I think uh, I think that uh, is uh, is is so so vital to uh and well it is it is it is detrimental to any profitable thing happening in the preaching moment it's the spirit of god at work and Mm -hmm. in that moment and so and we're totally dependent upon that we can't conjure that up and uh we you know we we preach uh and try to be faithful to the text we try to do it in such a way that we we show the urgency of this good good news that we're preaching and proclaiming and and we do that to the best of our ability and 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 then we uh we hit our knees um in in uh total dependence upon the holy spirit to to accomplish anything of any value uh eternally so yeah and then you know right here as as the book draws to a close john mentioned at the beginning how this is paul's farewell letter you know he's he's about to die um he's telling timothy hurry up and get here before winter you know i want to make sure i can see you before i go and in chapter 4 verse 6 paul kind of speaks clearly to that for i am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come 
I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And, you know, I I think as pastors and um, we want to be able to say that we want to be able to preach in such a way, counsel in such a way, love people in such a way that we can say, I have fought the fight. I finished the race. There's a crown for me. And. Clearly, Paul says, it's for all who have loved his appearing. So everyone in our church and any believer to be able to endure whatever you endure in this life and to say, no matter what the outcome is, there's a crown laid up for me in eternity to be with Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah, may, may all of our ministry lead to the loving of Christ's appearing when he comes back. You know, mm-hmm. that's, that's good. Well, as always, we love you very much. Thank you for listening today. Uh, Know that we are praying for you all and we hope to see you.